0: PG my name and I came to get it came to get it came to get it my name
1: everybody welcome back to season three of the all things sports podcast my name is Matthew Gordon alongside my co-hosts and today's guest is a legend he's an NBA champion and now currently one of the biggest NBA personalities in the world his name is Matt Barnes Matt how you doing today my guy
0: I'm good. I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: Of course, man. So can you maybe tell the people tuning in today a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, born and raised in San Jose, California to um, parents that were functioning drug addicts, so to speak. I think everyone in the 80s dabbled a little bit. So my parents were no different. I moved to Sacramento at about nine years old, and that's where I did the majority of my schooling. Um, Biracial, mother Italian, father black. Uh, For the first time in my life, I understood what racism was at about nine years old when I moved to Sacramento. Um, kids wouldn't let me play anything, you know, just because I didn't look like them. And at nine years old, it's kind of hard pill to swallow because not really understanding that it was the color of my skin that was bothering them. Um, you know, it. Uh, I was someone, that, you know, that would go home and console. My mom would console me. My dad, on the other hand, was not about that. My dad said, fuck that. They call you fight them. So that was where I kind of at an early age, nine years old, um, kind of started fighting for my respect and ended up fighting so much that my mom had to come work at the school, but maybe about a month or two into fighting, I think the kids were just tired of having to fight. So they finally started allowing me to play. And, uh, you know, they suddenly realized that, you know, I was an athlete, you know, I was the best football, baseball and basketball player early on. And, um, through there kind of gained acceptance and friendship and, um, From there, high school, uh, went to a predominantly white high school, had an amazing high school experience up until about three months before um, I was about to go to UCLA, ran into another racial situation where a kid was throwing racial slurs and actually spit on my sister. And she was two years younger than me. I was a senior. literally headed to UCLA in about two or three months from that actual time, um, you know, saw the kid, did what any big brother would do. beat him up pretty good, went to the office. Uh, the, the the administration didn't believe me. I'm like, no, nah, this kid's dad's a prominent lawyer. You know, that's not how he was raised. Pretty much said that I was, you know, lying and trying to be a bully. So long story short, I get suspended for a week. That week I'm suspended. Um, in the middle of the week, uh, the KKK came and vandalized my high school, um, burned down bathrooms, hung a mannequin in our big oak tree, with my football jersey on and dyed goes all over the school, dye barns all over the school made national headlines, the NAACP came out there to support me. Um, It got deeper than that. I actually found out um, through someone that they actually had to put a green light on my head, so they were trying to kill me on top of that. So I had to move my senior year to a different city. Ended up staying at the same school. Um, All that kind of passed by. Uh, Went to UCLA, played there for four years, Um, drafted in the NBA. Didn't get off to the start, I thought. I think most people think when you're drafted – you're good. You're making millions of dollars. But, it, you know, for me, it was definitely wasn't that. Uh, it was a grind and um, started off in the I think it was the D League at the time. That's what it was called at the time. And, you know, I had to find my way through there. Ended up getting a call up by the Clippers and uh, early 2003. And from there, went on to have a 15 year career. Um, and now I'm where I'm at, you know, kind of navigating this media space and and, and finding some success in it. And uh, you know, serial entrepreneur have invested in several other business entities. Um, coach my kids, and really, I just kind of feel like uh, you know I've, I've been so blessed to be able to play that long in the NBA, which is a it was, which is a dream. And then to be able to have my next act be something I love doing too, which was media, which wasn't expected. I had no idea. I never wanted to do media when I when I retired. But now that I am in media and kind of a fixture in it, you know, it's it's. I get paid to, you know, give my opinion on television, (laughs) which is crazy. So um, I've been extremely blessed. Um, You know, my story is a little different. And I think I I always tell my story from the beginning is because a lot of people want to know why I'm so outspoken. Um, And it's because I really went through so much uh, growing up, so much racism growing up that I just feel like I can be a voice for the voiceless or a voice for people who don't have a platform. So not only, you know, when it comes to racial issues, you know, social justice, police brutality, all issues that I feel like affect people um, that don't necessarily have a voice. I have comfortably stepped into the role of being able to speak with them and for them. And um, yeah, man, that's where, that's kind of who Matt Barnes is in a minute and a half nutshell. Yeah. That's
1: truly inspiring stuff, man. What a story. Uh, Ryan, you got a question for him?
2: Yeah, Matt. I Like I said, crazy story. You really have a wild background, and I'm glad you shared that with us. Um, going back to your high school days, uh, your senior year of high school, I actually read that you were an All-American wide receiver and caught 28 touchdowns. Um, and then I also read, I don't know how true this is, that if you weren't signed by the Warriors in 06, you actually had plans to try and try out for the NFL.
0: Is there any proof <laughs> yeah. to all that? Yeah, no, all that was uh, the truth. I actually grew up playing football. Football was really my first sport. Uh, Started playing that at a very young age, uh, but just kept growing. You know, just kept growing. From eighth grade to ninth grade, I went from like 5'10 to 6'4 over the summer. And then, you know, by the end of my junior year, I was 6'8. So football was something I loved. It came natural. Basketball is actually what I had to work at more. Um, But made a decision. I was recruited, you know, pretty much by every top D1 uh, for football and basketball, All-American in both. Um just decided one day randomly um i 'm just going to stick with basketball because again, I was recruited to play both, but I just felt like at the time there wasn 't too many six eight receivers um and this is back when you can really take people 's heads off still so i didn 't really see although i I never like to disrespect any other sport because I can only imagine how it is, how hard it is to make it in there but you know, I was six eight. I ran a four three nine. I had a thirty inch vertical. Like I really ran routes. I could really run over people. Um, so like football was really my thing. Um, but I felt like I definitely could have made a splash in the NFL. But I necessarily wouldn't have had the longevity. They probably would have, you know, broke me down a lot sooner. Um, but yeah, you know, my first handful of years in the NBA was, you know, I started off getting a chance to play. Then I got traded with Chris Weber to Philly, and then from there for about two and a half years, I really didn't get a chance to play at all. So I didn't know where you know, at the end of every season, it was just like a shit, am I going to have a job next year? You know, my agent was, you know, working diligently to get me to camp. And every year I went to camp, maybe my first four or five years, I had to make the team. And there was always guys that I had to beat out that were on guaranteed contracts or, you know, invites that, that, you know, kind of came before me. But every year I found a way to persevere and pass that, but I was kind of tired of it. And in 2006, um, you know, I told myself that, man, if I don't, you know, if this Golden State opportunity doesn't work out, you know, I'm, I'm ready to make a jump. So I had my agent at the time. He contacted maybe eight to 10 teams who were ready to give me a private workout. And, um, that was the plan. But luckily, um, Don Nelson gave me a chance with that warrior team. And again, I started off, you know, random stories. So Baron Davis, my UCLA teammate was with the Warriors at the time I was at home in Sacramento. He was in the Bay and was like, Hey, you know, we're gonna do a pickup game down here at the facility to say, if you want to drive up. And I'm like, Shit, all right, what time? And you know, it was, two hours before and I was like all right shit it's gonna take me an hour and a half to get there but I'll drive up there went up there played really well not knowing that uh Don Nelson was in his office watching the whole time so after he came down you know tell me I played well asked me what my plans were for for, for next season and I literally told him I was like coach I don't have no plans you know training camp is about a month away um you know just hoping that you know my agent gets a call and he's like well You know, I can't promise you anything. You know, we have all of our roster spots filled up and four guys coming to camp. But if you go out there and give the effort you gave today, I'll give you a chance to make the team. And that was the first time in my professional career that I felt like a coach had confidence in me. And from there, that's all I needed. You know, I ended up going to camp, beating everyone out and being the main reason why they felt comfortable enough to trade Mike Dunleavy and Troy Murphy. Um, because I was playing two, three, and four at the time. I ended up trading those guys, and that's how we ended up getting uh, Steven Jackson, now Harrington. And after that, you know, we ended up making NBA history that year. So um, it was true. You know, like I said, I, I just had a, a tough go at it, and I felt like, okay, if this basketball shit doesn't work, I know I could play football. Let me go try to play with my, you know, my original sport, my real sport is. Um, but, again, luckily, that opportunity arose, and I took advantage of it, and I, and I was able to make a career out of it.
3: Yeah, I'm really curious about your journey. So I saw that your brother was actually in the CFL. Do you you think that there was a bit of added pressure? Like, did he ever tell you, like, hey, come try football, like, you'd be successful? Was there ever a part of you that felt like I could have actually, like, been really good or, like, been successful in the NFL?
0: I don't think there was added pressure, but it was just always, like, I was – like, I wasn't your normal NBA athlete at the time. Like, I would work out for football – in the summertime with him because he was playing football. So he was in college at the time, excuse me, had just finished college. So he was doing his football workout. So I would do a basketball workout in the morning, take a little break, go run routes with him, (laughs) do football. And then at the end of the night, maybe playing a softball game because I love playing. Like I was a baseball player and all my buddies played softball at the time. So I'd play, you know, softball at the end of the night. So it really wasn't necessarily added pressure. I always wonder like, what if, because like I said, I literally had all the physical attributes Um, you know, no matter how good a DB is, you can't, you know, I had speed and height and I can catch. So there wasn't really too much I feel like a DB could have did with me. So there's always days. And, you know, again, I'm an avid football, like football is my favorite sport. So, you know, today, you know, Sunday ticket, you know, my wife knows not to bother me. The kids know to stay out of the movie room. Dad's going to smoke a joint and watch football all day. Like that's how much I love football, a huge 49er fan, but, you know, very happy that I was able to play obviously 15 years in the NBA, but there's always that, that damn, like, what if, like, I know there's nothing they could do with you in the red zone. Like what would, if you would have been in, you know, in the red zone and catching, you know, 15, 20 touchdowns a year, like how, you know, explosive that would have been. But again, I think, obviously, with my size that, you know, and this is back when there was, you know, these guys were leading with their heads and shoulders and and, and knocking people out. You know, (laughs) there's no telling how many of those hits I could actually took and continue to play.
1: That's awesome. So let's let's shift our focus a little bit to your uh, NBA career. Uh, When you first got started, we've actually asked this question to all of our guests, including Gilbert last week. What would you say was your welcome to the league moment, the moment that just You said, damn, I'm in the NBA.
0: Um, Oddly enough, it was early on, and it wasn't anything crazy. I think what it was was I was playing. So my first year, I played in the G League, and then at the beginning of the next season, I didn't make – I went to Seattle and didn't make that team. So for like three weeks, I had to go to this – I think it was called the ABA back then, and we actually had Dennis Rodman for a couple weeks on our team. But – Long story short, uh, early January I get the call up, and it happens to be against Sacramento Kings. So that's obviously my hometown, and I was good friends with Chris Weber. He would allow me to work out with them in the summertime because I would be in Sacramento. And this is back when they were really good when they were battling the Lakers and you know in the Western Finals. And you know, with, with a few few calls here and there, the Lakers slipped by and were able to win some championships. But you know, my first game was against the Sacramento Kings, and I, I, I probably and I, I want to say I had like nine points eight rebounds, nine points, nine rebounds and like 17 minutes. And it was just, I was just so excited to have the opportunity to, to, to one, uh, you know, get an opportunity in, in, in the NBA, but then to play against, you know, one of the better teams in my hometown team at the time. And, and I ended up playing, you know, well enough to fast forward the end of that, that off season. But again, I'm back in, you know, up in Sacramento, working out that, I was in the process of signing a two year, you know, minimal deal with the Clippers. But, you know, Rick Adelman was the coach at that time. And, you know, he just liked how hard I played, how hard I worked. And I was in I was in their facility every single day, even though I wasn't on the team. I was working out in there every single day. They allowed me to. And he just again, like my work ethic and, you know, asked me if I wanted to come to camp. And again, I said, absolutely. You know, went to camp, beat guys out and, and made that team. But that was the fucked up part because that's the year that Chris Weber ended up getting traded to Philly. And I was kind of a throw-in in, in that situation. And that kind of began like kind of like my NBA merry-go-round where, you know, two years there, I don't really get a chance to play. Um, they cut me at one point. I go to the Knicks and start for like 10 games, and the Knicks cut me, and I go back to Philly. So it was just kind of just like a, just a, a hamster wheel of bullshit going on. Uh, but, again, you know, I was able to keep my head down and grind and – and get through it. But yeah, my NBA moment wasn't a crazy moment. It was really just, man, I'm here and I'm playing against my hometown team. It it couldn't get better than this.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair to say you definitely had a long career in the NBA and bouncing around rosters, obviously. How did it feel like finally finishing your career in 2017 in Golden State and finally getting that ring? And did you know that this was going to be your like last season at the end of the day? No.
0: So at the beginning of that season, um, you know, I was a free agent. I was supposed to sign a deal with Memphis, and the GM had told me, "Hey, you know, we got three years, thirty million for you. We love what you brought to the team this year. You know, let's make it happen." Um, I'm like, "All right, cool." And then summertime's come around, and next thing I know, they give my brother Chandler Parsons a big deal, and I'm thinking like, "Okay, well, we play the same position, so I'm guessing that my deal is no longer <laughs> on the table." So I try to get a hold of the GM, call him for like a week and a half, absolutely no response. I'm like, "All right, well." fuck you. You didn't stand on your word, whatever. Um, so then I'm just kind of thinking like, you know, what do I want to do? Um, obviously that that was the team or that was the year that KD went to golden state. So there were some talks there, but they just didn't have any money. Um, and then I remember on the 4th of July, um, I was actually up in Sacramento and my agent called just like, what do you think about finishing your career in Sacramento? Like shit, I didn't really think about it, but it's not a bad idea. And they just built a new arena. I'm just like, all right, let's do it. So I actually signed a three-year deal. Um, that summer going into that season, thinking that hey, I am just going to, you know, all right, well, championship may never happen. But, you know, we have a new arena in Sacramento. I know how important it is to the city to try to make the playoffs after however many years at that point they hadn't made it. Um, So we're in the season going fairly well. I think, you know, a game out of the uh, out of the playoffs um, come all star break and at all star break, they trade DeMarcus Cousins. And I'm like, what the fuck? So there's no chance of us making. Well, let me tell you too why they traded Demarcus. Because they told they told us that they traded Demarcus for Buddy Hield was the main player coming from Northern. They told us that Buddy Hield was the next Steph Curry. I was like, oh, okay, well that's lofty expectations. With all due respect to everyone that they just mentioned, cool. Uh, anyway, that th- yeah, that in, ended up not working out. But I, you know, at that point, you know, I'm 36 years old. And I told, you know, management that, you know, I'm not really in a position to re- rebuild, you know, and I'm, I'm coming towards the end. Uh, I wanted to come here because I wanted to try to help make this team, you know, this team make the playoffs. And, you know, they agreed, and they were trying to go a younger direction too. So we negotiated a buyout. And then that's when Kevin Durant gets hurt with uh, Golden State. And literally the next – he got hurt one day. The next day I'm on the phone. Steve Kerr calls me and asks me if I want to come to be a warrior. I'm like, are you kidding me? So uh, literally uh, – Talked to them that night. The next morning, I go home that night and pack because they're on a road, road trip. So I fly out the next morning to Chicago, get there in the evening. The next day, I play 25 minutes in the first game and, and, and really kind of just pick up and, and just a nice solid glue piece for them. And I'm consistently playing 20 to 25 minutes a game right up until the playoff start. Because that was maybe right after the All-Star break that happened. So Katie is out for a good six, seven weeks with a hyperextended knee. The first game Kevin comes back, I go down in the first quarter, like nearly break my ankle, the worst ankle sprain I've ever had in my life. Um, couldn't move, couldn't walk. It blew up. Luckily it wasn't broken. Um, so that kind of takes me out of the mix. And I'm, I'm saying all this to say, like I did, so i I start feeling a little bit better, not even good enough to really feel like I'm myself, but like it was like Western conference finals. I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to try to suck it up and play, but you know, me being a veteran at that time, knowing that, you know, we're eight and at that point, you know, so a role player is not going to come back and really get in the mix. And that's what I was at the time. So I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to come back, you know, be that vet on the bench and encourage people help people talk, give them a good look and practice and just kind of play that role. So that I, I think there's been a whole misconception of me, like not accepting my ring and, and all that kind of shit. I just looked at it from a perspective of, you know, my whole career has been a grind and nothing was ever given to me. And I felt like, um, although my body of work, I deserved a ring that particular playoff run. I didn't get a chance to play really. So I wasn't out there guarding Kawhi. I wasn't out there guarding Dame and CJ. And these are all things I wouldn't know. I was not, uh, you know, these are all things I wouldn't, I didn't get a chance to guard LeBron in the finals. That's all things I would have normally did if I was healthy. So with that situation, I just felt like I didn't earn the ring. So not that I didn't want it. I just don't like, I don't go around calling myself an NBA champ or wearing my ring or anything like that because Although I appreciate the moment, like I'm just someone that like I feel like I have to earn. If something is given to me, it just it, it doesn't mean much to me. So um, there was a huge misconception about me wanting the ring or not wanting the ring. And that's a whole nother story. But um, I, looking back, obviously, almost five years removed now, it's, it's great to say that, you know, there is a championship on my resume. But I just wish it could have went away <clears throat> where you know I was healthy and actually got a chance to contribute during that playoff run. It would have been a lot more meaningful to me.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said about the veteran presence you were having in that locker room. I mean, you look at guys like Udonis Haslam, with, he yeah. still got him there. I mean, they say yeah. he's, he's huge in that locker room. I don't know exactly how that works, but, I mean, you obviously deserve that ring and you won, you won that ring yeah. with all of them, you know?
0: I appreciate it. I really feel like – I mean, I think you made a great point. I feel like that's what the NBA is kind of missing these days. I remember when I first came in the NBA in, in, in early 2000 that – you know, there was guys 37, 38, 39, even 40, some contributing on the floor, some not. But just their presence of being able to wrap their arms around the younger players and kind of, you know, teach them about the pitfalls and what what to do and what not to do, um, way to handle shit. I feel like the NBA is missing that this day because the average age in the league is so much younger now and they want young, young. So if you're old, like a, you can name Udonis, maybe the Army, maybe now Iguodala with Golden State, but they don't have those vets anymore that can really help young players but you see the teams that do have those vets it goes a long way you know those are the teams that are usually around towards the end
3: right it's hard I think you see all these guys who are 18 years old just getting plugged into the lineup with big minutes right off the rip Mm -hmm. right I think yeah stupid not to have a vet in there who can you know not only on the court coach them but just help them outside the court yeah
0: well I, well, I kind of feel like there's a disconnect with management, you know, because obviously management now is so much about analytics and kind of computer guys and not guys that necessarily play the game and understanding the importance of the chemistry and the morale in the locker room and understanding what those veterans do in those teams. Like these guys are looking at numbers and performance. And I, you know, I get it. That's what where the game is. But, you know, again, I really feel like the game is missing these guys in the locker room that can really help these younger players because a lot of the times, you know, they're the coaches. You know, what I mean, those guys have soaked up so much game and, you know, when players aren't, you know, there's a rift between players and coaches. It's only that bet that'll pull the player to the side and kind of get them through that time. So unfortunately, it's just not where the game is anymore.
3: <clears throat> so kind of talking like keeping it with the locker room, I'm curious, is there one team or like roster that you had the most fun with or like bonded with more than, you know, another roster per se?
0: Uh, there's three teams that I always talk about, and one is the Golden State team, but the We Believe team. The team from 06, 07, 08, that team was just different. Uh, the way we bonded uh, post-All-Star break and and to this day, our, our brothers and all still talk. You know, Baron, Jack, Al, we all still uh, consistently talk. Obviously, Jack and I have a show together. Uh, that team was special. That Lob City Clipper team was really dope. Um, it was crazy because we had such great chemistry off the court but there was not, at times we were amazing on the court, but I think what held us back with that team was our stars kind of internally butting heads. but we always had a lot of fun uh, with that team. And then obviously getting a chance to play with Kobe, you know, kind of after our situation, a lot of people think like our relationship started at the ball fake, but I actually met Kobe when I was at UCLA and he was early with the Lakers and he would be on our campus all the time hanging out. And that's kind of when our, you know, relationship started and it, it, it ended up, you know, kind of bubbling in that Orlando situation. But, again, at the end of that season, you know, he calls me up like, yo, what are you about to do? I was, I was thinking about going to the Heat, and he's just like, you want to be a Laker? I'm like, absolutely. You know what I mean? So that went from kind of being ultimate competitors to teammates to brothers. So those are the three teams that I really feel like all very good teams uh, and had a great time and, and, and you know, still, obviously, rest in peace, Kobe, all have a relationship with guys that I, you know, that I play with from those teams to this day. Yeah, so touching on that, you know, like you said, obviously it was an iconic
1: moment in NBA history, the ball fake. And you were talking about your relationship with Kobe. I just want to know maybe something you took away from him and your relationship and maybe how it grew over the past couple of years. I saw he went on your podcast. Just maybe, yeah. you know, the growth of your relationship.
0: I think the opportunity to get to know Kobe, the man, the father, the businessman, uh, you know, the, uh, he – he. uh He was the mom, but everybody else. And it it was crazy, too, because I'm a I'm a shit talker. I'm a joker. So right when I got into the locker room, even though, again, I've known him for a long time, I would not call us friends before that point. We were just, you know, we had mutual respect. because We played each other so much and we'd see each other in the summertime. But I'm in the locker room off the rip talking shit to him, just kind of seeing where he's at, seeing what he's about. And he liked it because he was, you know, talking shit right back. So I think, you know, from there. We grew and he, you know, Kobe was one guy that didn't do a lot of talking. He led by example. You know what I mean? And 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 he really appreciated how, obviously how hard I played in my work ethic. So we always were just on the same page so much that, you know, he would invite me out to Orange County in the summertime to work out with him and shit. But I think what I took again, took away the most was getting to, you know, becoming cool enough with him for him to let his his guard down. And uh, you know, him embracing my kids, you know, my kids called him Uncle Cobe. Literally every shoe drop he would send my kids shoes. Um, you know, after both of our post-retirement, you know, he was coaching his daughter and in, in all the AU circuit, if you're not familiar, all the pretty much all the AU shit goes down in Orange County. So it would be a you know an opportunity where we would see each other at tournaments a lot, but we would see each other so much that we, you know, we would talk the night before, like, hey, you know, what time does Gigi play? Okay, what time do the twins play? And there'd be times where, you know, the twins would play two hours before you know, because Gigi was a little older, he would come to like a 9 a.m. nine-year-old basketball game. Like, you know, nine-year-old basketball is shitball. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everyone's just kind of running around. But the fact that Cope would come two hours early, you know, just to watch my kids, I was just like, yo, this, this is Kobe Bryant. Like, he doesn't have to do this. He does this because, he, you know, he's a real dude. And obviously there's a, you know, a great bond between us. So I think what I took away the most is just being able to really become friends and, and brothers with him. Uh, because it, it was a, a thing that he didn't let too many people do. He didn't He didn't let the wall down. You know, On the bus one time, I remember we were literally talking shit back and forth and I'm just like, yo, why don't you show the world this cool motherfucker? And he kind of stopped and he looked at me and said, I can't show him this. And I'm just like, why? You know what I mean? Like, because this is the laughing, joyful, talking shit side, but he was always just kind of so mean faced and it was always about business every time you would see him. Even if he wasn't playing basketball, just in life, he was just always about, you know, being great. Um but again the, the opportunity to get a chance to know the person uh is probably what I take away the most. That's a great answer. And wow. All right, so let's go
1: to more about you again um after the MBA. So you got a lot going on. You got your podcast going, you're you're busy just like you said. Um what made you so entrepreneurial like you started business opportunities outside of the MBA? What what made you do that and You know, when talking about
0: your podcast, what's your relationship with Steven Jackson like? Uh, The reason, first part of your question, what made me want to do it is just I was ready. You know, I don't think I told the story. So obviously the year that I won the ring with Golden State, I still had two years left on my deal. But I just felt like it was time to see what was left, you know, see what else was going on in my life. I was missing a lot of time with my kids. I kind of started investing in in, in different projects at about 31, 32. And at that point, I was 37. And some of those businesses started turn over, making profit. So I just felt like, you know, hey, it's been a hell of a run. Um, You know, just won a championship with this team. You know, what's next? So I was excited about the next step. I feel like sometimes guys aren't at peace with the way things ended. Although I said I wasn't super happy with the way things ended because I wanted to be out there playing more. At the end of the day, I still had a great run. Um, and I was ready to see, you know, what, what is, what is business going to hold? You know, I want to be there for my kids. I want to take them to school. I want to coach them. So I, I stepped away from the game and, and luckily we'll still be able to, you know, still paid for the next two years. So I kind of felt like, okay, you know what, you have a cushion for the next two years. Let's grind in business and, and see what starts to unfold. And the first thing I jumped into was cannabis and, and that's been successful. And then, you know, oddly enough, what I've been the most successful at is media. But I, again, I had no intentions of being in media, um, you know, when you're a player and, and the media that it's, it's kind of like a, like a robber talking to a cop. Like, it's just like, there's such a something and don't get me wrong. Some media t- uh, personalities are great, but you know, just, there's just a, a, a rocky relationship. So I never saw myself going into media and a friend of mine, she told me, she was like, you know, you're, you were so well-spoken in your interviews. Have you ever thought about being an analyst or, you know, someone on TV that just talks about the game? I'm like, nah, I'm cool. She's like, nah, you should try it. So she, Bothered me for a couple of weeks, maybe even a month to do it. I ended up doing it, liking it, finding out how fun it was, and then, you know, I was getting positive feedback. And, you know, that started to take off, you know. So I was back and forth with Fox for a while until ESPN locked me into a, you know, a multi year deal. And I feel like that was when the rest of the world kind of started seeing, like, oh shit, he's not this tatted up thug that cusses out referees and slaps people. He like knows what he's talking about. So I think kind of that. Preconceived notion of who people thought I was. Once they kind of saw me talking on TV, they're like, "Oh shit!" So I I really took pride in kind of changing people's opinions about me. They who really didn't know me, they just saw a snippet of me, and they thought they knew who I was. But again, through the ESPN opportunity, just doors started opening, and, and people were like, "Oh, we need you to come talk here. We need you to come talk there." So through that, um, I thought of the podcast. Uh, Jack was doing the same thing. We were bouncing back. Both of us were bouncing back back and forth between Fox and ESPN, <clears throat> and both getting positive feedback and. You know, people are saying like, man, you guys need to do something together. You guys are so real. You guys are raw. You guys speak the truth. You guys need to do something together. I'm just like, damn, what can we do together? It's not like ESPN or Fox is going to give us our own show. Um, so I thought about a podcast. And even though I didn't know what a podcast was at the time, I was just like, I, when I when I pitched to Jack, like, he's like, what the podcast? I was like, I don't know, but I know we can drink and smoke and cuss because all those all three things we can't do on Fox and ESPN. He's like, shit, I'm in. And then, uh, you know, the stars had aligned where I spoke on a DeMarcus Cousins documentary that Showtime was doing. The producer, after the uh, interview, told me, like, hey, a friend of mine is starting Showtime basketball. Um, you should talk to him. He's just like, you know, I heard you're trying to do a podcast. I'm just like, yeah, I was. How the fuck you hear it? He said, I don't know. You just got around. So I, I I sit down with, you know, someone over at Showtime at the Lowe's Hotel in Santa Monica and just. Pitch them on the idea, like no sizzle, no nothing. Like it was a pitch, just like I just, you know, I want to capture man cave conversations. Like we all know, like the best conversation is when all of us are sitting down, having a drink, watching the game, like whether there's a camera on or not, whether you're famous or not, those are some of the best conversations to be told. And I wanted to be able to put a camera on something like that. And uh, they bought into it. Uh, And the first year out of the gates, we win sports podcast of the year. So uh, it was, again, it was lightning. It was crazy how fast everything lined up. Um, <clears throat> but we caught lightning in a bottle. And, um, you know, shit, we're in our fourth season now. We just had Will Smith a couple of weeks ago. that kind of, you know, elevated us to a, to a, to another place, which is great. Um, and then the second part of your question, uh, Jack and I's dynamic and relationship started with that We Believe team. Um, obviously, known knew him before because we played against each other, but never got a chance to know him. Uh, he gets traded to our team we hit it off instantly, both, you know, weed smokers. And I could tell instantly he was, so that was kind of the icebreaker. You know, we went to my place one day and smoked and just kind of made it a tradition. And then that following season, my mom died at the very beginning of the season. And Jack was the one, although the whole organization or warriors organization was great. Jack was the one that was consistently checking on me, bringing me food, coming over to smoke, just checking on me daily. And we went from obviously teammates and, and friends to brothers from there. And you know, shit. What was it 15 years later you know now we're you're, you know we're making you know great content and, and and getting money together so you know jack is obviously a former teammate but to me he's he's a brother you know the one guy through the nba that i feel like is like real real family that's amazing stuff and we we love to do
1: <clears> the <throat> podcast so everything you're saying that. we love that so to wrap this up NBA season is a little crazy, a um, little unexpected. You know, things are changing now. The Lakers look terrible, and now they look good. The Warriors are still, you know, around 500. Just wanted to know your thoughts on, like, what's going
0: on with all these teams and your thoughts on this season overall. Um, I think, you know, I think there are some teams in the Western Conference that got up to hot starts, and everyone's like, whoa, look at this team. But I, I, I'm a firm believer that the cream will rise to the top. Uh, I still believe in the Warriors. I think the Warriors – I don't even think they have issues. I just think the word they're understanding that obviously they're, they're core guys, uh, It's they can't ride them the entire season. Although Steph is playing out of his mind right now, they realize that that core is older, so they want to figure out what their younger core has. You know, what is Kaminga going to give us? And he's continued to play well. You know, Wiseman's back up from the G League. What can he give us? What can Moody give us? You know, what's Poole going to give us now that we gave him all this money? So I really think Steve Kerr's goal right now is to not necessarily – it's not about winning games, you know, because I know they're not going for a top – one or two seed. I think they just kind of want to figure out who they are and what they are, come playoff time. Because we know experience is the best teacher. And to me, I feel like they're still one of the strongest uh, teams in the West. Uh, when it's all said and done, I think they'll be be there. Uh, Lakers. Lakers are tough because I really feel like people don't understand how much time it takes. You know, we're just talking about the Warriors and their time and their dynasty, how much time it takes to build a good team. Because this, at the end of every season, this team is building a whole new roster, (laughs) you know, outside of AD and LeBron and Russ this last season, this whole fucking team is new and people don't understand how long it takes. especially because it's the Lakers, they expect greatness all the time. So I just think the fact that, you know, Darvin Ham, big shouts out to Darvin Ham for him to get Russ to buy into his six man role. And I think Russ is starting to excel there. And then we're seeing, you know, AD's greatness and we're seeing we already know what LeBron is. So I think the key is, you know, LeBron and AD getting more time together. And then, you know, if they're really going to go through AD, go through AD, because I feel like that's the best chance they have, uh, you know, obviously with LeBron's age, year 20, the best chance they have to make a run is putting it on AD's shoulders. And AD has been, you know, the best player in the world the last month. Um, so excited about them. You know, I, I, I think and people think I'm crying. I think they'll make the playoffs. I think because I think there's, you know, it's going to take and work out some kinks. They may add a piece and here and there, maybe add some shooting to that team and some depth to the bench through some, you know, through some trades. But um, I think they'll be okay. Uh, Eastern Conference, I'm really impressed by Boston, you know, considering, you know, losing their head coach, who was a big part of their turnaround last year. People don't remember Boston was below 500 last year, you know, at the turn of the year and the end of January, and they started hitting their run. So, you know, the fact that they, you know, Lost their coach. Um, you know, Robert Williams is a big part of that front line. They don't have him, but yet they're the best team in the league. And and hands down to me, the best doing the league is Brown and Tatum. Tatum should be in that MVP conversation. I think they're both all-stars. Uh, and then Milwaukee. I'm a big fan of Giannis. And, and, you know, with them doing what they've done without Middleton, Middleton just getting back. So I think my top four teams in, out of the Eastern Conference, I, I, I like Boston and Milwaukee. And in the West, I like – Golden State, I, I'm, I'm holding out for the Clippers because I think if Kawhi can get on track, I think they have a really deep, talented roster and a really good coach. And then uh, depending on CP3's availability, he's kind of the wild. To me, that's the, the Phoenix team is that wild card in that in that third position um, in the Western Conference. So although none of those three teams I mentioned in the West are even top four or top five at this point, I have a feeling, you know, post All-Star break, we'll see, you know, the best of all those teams.
1: I think it's safe to say we all have very similar picks to you. Uh, real quick, before we wrap this up, finals prediction and MVP pick.
0: Shit. Finals prediction. Boston versus Golden State. A rematch. And I think, and I hate to say it, but I think Boston gets them this time. I, I think it, This you know, I, I think Boston gets them this time. Um, and if that's the case, you know, how can Tatum, I mean, although it's not a, a postseason award, but I think the way Jason Tatum is playing, uh, he's a force to be reckoned with. You know, you look at Steph, Steph's been playing great. I mean, to me, the, right now, the, the the top guys in the MVP race are Steph, Tatum, um, Giannis. Um, I'm sure I'm probably missing somebody, but those are the, the, we'll the three that... Ba- Luca, but I see I'd say I think the only thing that's going to hold Luca back is his, his team is not they didn't they didn't add they didn't add enough for Luka Luka's like, Luca to me is the has the hardest job in the NBA as far as superstars like he has to carry his team the absolute most and he can but I think what'll hold him back from winning the MVP is I don't think his team's record's going to be where it should be you know when you mentioned Boston or you know if still Golden State starts picking it up or you know again Milwaukee's at you know second in the in the east so those four people so I would probably pick I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick Tatum I'm gonna pick Tatum will win MVP this year his team is gonna win the championship and he'll be finals MVP the wow. trifecta the Celtics sweep all around Matt <laughs>
1: thank you so much for joining us today man we appreciate you we'll be in touch and we'll see you soon man keep going it
0: all right fellas appreciate it man thanks for having me